Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank and praise you that you are the living Savior. That you died to pay the price for our sins, but death could not hold you. You have the power and the victory over sin and over death. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we investigate your word this morning, that we would be challenged to live more dependent upon you. We ask that you would be and you would guide every portion of this service to your honor and glory. Lord, of course, if there be someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, we pray that today would be at least one step closer to that goal. In your name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the next song. Bibles, if you would. And let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Just because of the scheduling of the next several weeks and uh, uh, our missions conference coming up just a week from this Thursday, our missions conference begins. And uh, we had basically one more uh, Thursday night to finish up the letters to the churches. And so uh, I decided to do that this morning. So if you have not been here on Thursday nights, uh, you'll be missing just a few things. And so we'd encourage you to come out uh, on Thursday nights. We're going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. And uh, we have tried to finish up and been trying to finish up the letters to the churches. That's the first, that's chapters two and three of the book of Revelation is Jesus' last instructions to his churches. And so starting in verse 14, we have the letter to the church at the Laodiceans. And we've already spent two Thursday nights going through the first several verses of this. And tonight, uh, this morning, actually, we're going to pick up in verse 19... As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, there have been many attempts to take these passages of Scripture and do things with them God never intended to be done. These were seven letters that Jesus dictated to John the disciple on the island of Patmos. Each one was to one of these seven literal churches that were in existence in seven cities in what we would call today Turkey. The Bible uh, term for that country was Asia or Asia Minor. And these seven churches have been turned into church ages I can't find that in the scripture. Uh, I've heard preachers use this last church that we will be looking at just the last part of this letter this morning as an excuse, saying we are in the Laodicean church age. We are to be lukewarm Christians because that's what Jesus said. Now, uh, if you can prove that with the Bible, uh, you got real problems. Uh, Jesus does not never has and never will give us an excuse not to serve him 100% as Christians. Do not look for reasons to justify disobedience to Christ. You can't find it in the Bible. Though you can find preachers who will use the Bible to tell you these things are true, uh, that exist in every culture and everything because in Sunday school we studied about the Ten Commandments. One of my favorite quotes about the Ten Commandments is there are two and a half million laws in the federal law code, every one of them, trying to help you keep the Ten Commandments. And I mean, if you stop and think about that, why do we have laws about how we ought to drive? Because thou shalt not kill. Amen? 
why do we have all of these laws? Uh, they used to call it perjury. Now they call it political debate. Uh, Bible said, thou shalt not bear false witness. I mean, there's all kinds. It says, thou shalt not kill. We call it abortion. Listen, no one has ever measured up to God's laws. No one ever will. When we think, when we get the idea somehow that we can do something that will be good enough to please God or make God pleased with us, we are in dangerous territory, and that's exactly what happened in the Laodicean church. Let's pick up those few first verses that we skipped over, starting in verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thou, thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The title of this morning's message is, As Many as I Love. Jesus is talking to this church, and, and we do not have time to go back over the uh, several weeks on Thursday night that we spent on the first several verses of this letter, but just simply in a summary, being hot, good. Being cold, good. Being lukewarm, sickening. It is more. It is worse than worthless. He says, the reason you are in this lukewarm state is because of your self-assessment. Now, if you've ever read any of these self-help books out there, what's the first thing they tell you to do? Well, you just need to sit down and look at yourself. Let me tell you, when we sit down and look at ourselves, it's always better than it is. Isn't that true? Uh, can I give you a little case in point? How many of you looked in the mirror this morning before you came here? How many of you liked what you saw? Case in point, amen? I mean, it's always better than it is. That's the way our human mind works. We need a dose of reality. That's where the Word of God comes in. Amen? The church was not measuring themselves by the things in God's Word. I, I had heard one preacher talk about it. He says, how are your ABCs? ABCs? He says, yeah. Your attendance, your building, and your cash. How's that going? He said, and if you're really doing great, he said, let's talk about the D's. That's decisions. If you got your ABCDs, he said, you got a great church. Well, that's what the church at Laodicea was judging everything on. They had A, B, C, and D. But here's what Jesus said. He said, you're wretched. Now, most of us have no idea what it means to be wretched. It is horrible, and in a situation where you cannot help yourself. Probably the best illustration of wretchedness is long-term drug addict. Someone who has used up all of his friends, all of his family, 
all of his income and could do nothing but beg and hope that somehow, hook or crook, they can get another dose of whatever it is to keep them going. That's wretchedness. Because in that situation, you can do nothing to help yourself. You're going to have to have somebody from the outside come in and give you a hand. To be miserable, to be poor and blind. This was the state that Jesus saw. And he had told the church, he said, I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. And we went over that Thursday night how that that gold tried in the fire is living by faith. It's a dependence upon the words of God to make daily decisions. When is the last time you made a decision that affected your life based upon the word of God? I hope you made one this morning. Said the Bible says I ought to be in church. And so you showed up because the Bible says so. That's the reason we come to church. It's not because other people will see us or pastor's going to give me a call this week if I don't show up, so I better be there. Those are not reasons to come to church. What will people think of me if I'm not there? Those aren't reasons. The real reason is because the Word of God says so. Raymond. White raiment. How do you purchase that raiment to cover the shame of your nakedness? We're talking spiritually here. Go back to the end of the book of Revelation. The bride is arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. And the linen is the righteousness of the saints. You see, God expects his righteousness to rub off on us. Amen. He wants us to come to him because righteousness cannot be attained by what you do. How many of you have ever tried? Now, just think about this for a minute. How many of you have ever tried with all of your effort to do right and be the best person you can? I mean, almost everybody in here has done that at one time or another. I hope you are. But even in your attempts, as you are struggling to do right, what else do you do? You do a little wrong with it. And so your righteousness is tainted by your wrongdoing. Because you cannot separate as a sinful human being from your sinful nature. Not until we get to heaven. Amen? So if I want real righteousness, I have to go to Jesus Christ. And he, just like he did when he saved your soul, will give you the ability to do right for the right reasons. That's how you purchase that raiment, is by allowing Christ to empower you to do what is right. And then the ISAV, that's the Word of God. How many of you can think of specific things the Word of God has changed your perception, the way you see life? Because you've read the Bible, it's changed the way things look. You see, we have a whole realm of people. A week doesn't go by. I got an advertisement from an oil company. We want a greener earth. No, you don't. You want to sell me number two diesel so we can burn in the boiler and keep the building warm when we have snowstorms in October. That's not supposed to happen around here. Listen, don't worry about saving the planet. Worry about the creator of the planet. He'll take care of the planet. Trust me. Uh, In fact, he made it a little better. So as to let us little human beings mess the whole thing up. Uh, Trust God. 
He'll take care of what he made. Amen. That's a whole other sermon. But allow the word of God to change the way you see and perceive reality. The definition of insanity, a true definition of insanity, is seeing things that do not exist. Is understanding things that aren't there. I mean, it's it's really sad when when these things happen, and 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 being a preacher, I've had to help people try to help people through some of these things, and and every once in a while, I'll get a phone call, and and it'll be someone, do you counsel? And, well, of course I counsel. I, I give what the Bible says. But they're after me. They put a curse on me. Things are happening very bad. And, and I said, listen, the first place you need to do is you need to come to church. Because the devil won't bother you under the preaching of God's word. He just doesn't like that stuff. Uh, you put yourself around God's people and you'll protect yourself. You've got to let Jesus do the protecting. You're not going to do it. But it's seeing things that aren't there. But you let the word of God change what you see. And then you'll really understand what it's about. You see, where we start this morning, Jesus said, as many as I love. Love is a wonderful thing, is it not? True, honest, no strings attached, real, godly love. It's something you can't get too much of. I've, I've heard people say, well, he just loved his daughter too much. He let her have her own way. Let me tell you, that is not love. Just letting someone do whatever they want is not love. In fact, the real term for that is hate. Is despising that human being because how many of you have ever met somebody, had to work with somebody who was raised that way, allowed to do anything they want? How many of you have ever had to work with somebody like that? Oh, man. You, you talk about awful, huh? Am I right? You can agree. I mean, if you really like working around people like that, I'm sure there's a job for you somewhere high paying in New York City. Uh, listen. Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. How many of you remember that mean teacher in school? I mean, that vicious, awful teacher or professor that just bled all over your beautiful paper and turned it back to you and said, rewrite this piece of trash. You can do better than that. Is that what you do, Brother Franz? Good. He's a school teacher. You know why? How many are thankful for what that teacher put you through now? My son called me up first year in college. Thanks, Dad, for being so mean to me. I think I understand a little bit now. You know why? Because every one of us need to be molded and shaped. Every one of us need to be forced in the right direction. And Jesus is talking to his church here. And he says, listen, you guys have gotten off the track. You've, you've turned your attention from me to your own thought processes. You're standing there giving yourself your own report card and putting an A or an E or a check mark in every slot because you think everything is going well, but you haven't talked to me. And this letter ends, just so you know why we're spending time here. It's not because 
I got out the church books and found a lot of problems or because uh, I've been uh, uh, listening to conversations and I think we have all kinds of trouble in our church and need to straighten it out. It's because this last verse here in verse 22 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Every church that has ever been in existence that's met in the name of Jesus Christ needs to be admonished by these words or they will turn aside and cease being the church that Jesus wants them to be. Amen? And so we need to hear these war- this warning. We need to look at these verses and understand that Jesus says, listen, as many as I love, And I wish we had time to go through all these seven churches and and some of the things that were going on in these churches were just incomprehensible. And Jesus, every time he looks and he says, I see the individuals. I see that church as a whole. And he said, I'm going to do the job that I should do as the Lord of the church, as the head of the body, And I'm going to rebuke and I'm going to chasten. Rebuke is blame expressed to the face. Now, how many of you like somebody to look you right in the eyes and said, you're wrong. You did it wrong. You messed up. Now, if you really enjoy that, Please, see me after church. We'll sign you up for counseling. Because you need more help. You you need more help than you think you do. Rebuke is never meant to be enjoyable. There are some people out there that go around sopping up rebuke because somehow it makes them feel better about all the wrong things that they've done. Well, at least I'm paying for it. He's yelling at me. Well, wait a minute. You're not paying for anything. How many of you are sick of politicians saying, I take responsibility for my actions? I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. Rebuke is just the first step. Until you understand that something is wrong, what is going to give you the desire to fix it? Hello? If it's okay... Are you going to change something? I mean, there's a classic rule. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Uh, if, if there's nothing wrong with it, if I take the van to a mechanic and he says, hey, everything's fine, do you think I'm going to pay him extra money to fix something that is, doesn't need to be fixed? Wrong. But if he comes to me and says, hey, you got a serious problem here that's going to develop in the next few weeks if you don't get... An alignment done on the front tires, you're going you're gonna to have to replace those things, and they're expensive. And I said, okay, hey, let's get that fixed. Amen? Uh, rebuke. Jesus is trying to help us understand what is wrong. If you don't tell a poor child that two plus two equals only four and nothing else, they could get a job at the Congressional Accounting Office. Amen? <laughs> If you don't tell them the difference between what is right and wrong, how are they going to know what to fix? And so Jesus says, listen, I rebuke them whom I love. He had just told this church that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I think that qualifies for some pretty stern rebuke, don't you? He said, because if you don't understand where you are, you're not going to go through what it takes to buy of me that gold tried in the fire. You're not going to get the the garments, the, the fine white linen that's going to cover you. You're never going to see and understand. One of the greatest problems that we as preachers face today is we can get out God's word and explain it. And someone says, oh, yeah. I understand that. And they don't have a clue to what you just said. What is sin in our society today? 
Sin is something you do that's not in your own best interest. That is the working definition of sin today. I'll tell you what, that's not God's definition of sin. Never has been and never will be. God's definition of sin is when you do something that's not in God's best interest. Because God's best interest, whether you will accept it or not, is your best interest. When God gets done what He wants to do, the entire world benefits. When you get done what you want to do, you're the only one that benefits and somebody else always has to pay for it. How many of you like being first in line? Well, everybody does. Who wants to wait? But do you realize for you to be first in line, everyone else, all 3,000 people trying to get through that toll plaza have to wait on you to get through the toll plaza. That's you doing what's in your own best interest. When you do what's in God's best interest, everyone benefits. And God, Jesus is talking to his church and he says, listen, I'm rebuking you. I want you to understand. Have you ever tried to get a hold of somebody and explain to them what they're doing is wrong and they just look at you and say, so? And that is a challenge. The word of God has been dumbed down. The, the language that we use has been so modified that you can say things and it nothing means anything anymore. But if you've ever had a good stern rebuke, you're not asking, what did he say? I've had other preachers come up, what did you mean by that sermon? Of course, they were joking. Uh, The simple truth is, Jesus said, as many as I love, I rebuke. He said, and chasten. Now, you see, rebuke without chastening is evil. Because just going around and telling everybody what's wrong doesn't solve a blessed thing. Just talking about something isn't going to solve the problem. You've got to reach down a little bit lower and, and get a hold of things. I often like to say, hey, take care of this and just give it to somebody and not worry about it again. You know what I found out? That doesn't happen that way. If I want somebody to learn something and learn how to do something, especially my children, you know what I have to do? I have to take time to do it with them. I have to put my hands on their hands. I have to stand there and explain again and again. And it takes twice as long to teach, sometimes many more times than twice as long. To teach them how to do something. But then once I've taught, I've got to help her. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm going to rebuke you, but I'm going to chasten you. I'm going to keep on you until you learn how to do it right. Because I'm not going to allow you to... Be a product of your own thought processes. How many of you have ever gone through that chastening process? I mean, someone training you and making you. I remember when I was a young man, I had a a saxophone teacher. He was unsaved, but he was surely a great teacher in every lesson. Rebuke. Now, this is how you do it right. No, that's not right. This is how you do it right. And and he said, now, I'm going to show you something here. You got this whole song down except for this one little spot. And the reason you don't have this one little spot done is because it's hard. He said, so I'm going to circle this spot. And he got out his pencil and drew a big circle around those four or eight measures where all the difficult stuff was. And he said... For the next week, you're not practicing anything but this. He said, you've got to be kidding me. 
He said, you slow it down. You learn to play it right. You know what? I listened to my teacher. Oh, was it painful. Because they could play the whole song at the right speed, except for those eight measures or whatever length of piece it was. How would you like to spend an hour a day working on about 15 seconds of music? Does that sound frustrating to you? Uh, I hope it does, because it is. It was. But when I was done, I could play it. Right. That is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about chastening. It's not just beating the living daylights out of somebody. That is not chastening. That's wickedness. That's venting your anger in an unbiblical way. It is ma- The idea of chastening is forcing into that direction so that when you're done, you, ha- you have what you need to continue on. Music is discipline. That's why it's good to teach young children music. It's a great discipline. There are many things that Jesus wants his church to know. The number one thing that he deals with here, he says, you're lukewarm, you're worthless, you're worse than worthless because you say you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. There is no time in the Christian life when you do not have need of the direct intervention of God in a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. Could we say amen to that? This is what Jesus is saying to his church. He's saying, I'm rebuking you because you're trusting in yourself and not in me. You see, it is his displeasure of the rebuke It is that pressure of the chastening that will bring us to the next point. The rest of this verse says, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now that word zealous might seem a little strange to you to be put in there, but it's there for a reason. How many of you ever gotten tired of doing it the wrong way? I mean, just sick and tired. I don't care if it takes 10 weeks. I am going to learn to do the, play these eight measures right. And by the way, I never have played jazz music on my saxophone, only God's music, amen? But the simple truth of the matter is, it takes a little zeal. Uh, It takes a little passion. It takes some desire to do right to get through that process. The learning process is not this uh, unemotional, emotionally dead thing that just happens to you. I need to, you've got to, you got to want to do it. Have you ever met somebody who just doesn't want to do anything? Let me tell you what they get done. Exactly what they want to do. Nothing. I mean, we have some people that are exceeding zealous of being able to do nothing. I did not have the, um, uh, I don't know what I would call it, uh, privilege of meeting this said gentleman, but a preacher friend of mine met him here in New York City and And what he was doing was he was fishing between the grapes. He had a fishing line with a little attachment on the end. And he was dropping it down through the holes in those air grates. And he was retrieving coins and other valuables that had been dropped down through there. And that was part of the way he made his living. And so, Brother Johnson, some of you will know, came up to him and said, What are you doing? Now, if that had been me, I'd say, oh, this guy's got problems and kept on walking. But Brother Johnson said, I'm 
I want to find out what's going on here. And he said, I, I'm retrieving coins. He said, I, I make, and I can't remember what he said. It was some unbelievable amount of money retrieving these coins out of the grates. And uh, he said, what do you use to do that? Use a magnet? He says, oh, no. He says, you can't use a magnet. The alloy in the coins will not respond to magnetic uh, attraction. And he goes on and gives them this explanation that a, a guy with a Ph.D. in physics could come up with and, and how he had developed this process of picking these coins. Let me tell you, this guy was more excited about fishing coins out of the grates than most of us are about going to work tomorrow. Me, I get to go to work today, amen? Now, if somebody could get excited enough to about fishing coins, why can't we allow God to put a little zeal in our heart to please Him? How many of you like that last song we sang? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You know, we've got to remind ourselves of that constantly. Because the pressures of this life and the distractions and all the things that go on take our eyes off Christ. And listen, none of us wants to look at ourselves and say, I've got a failing grade, I've got problems, I've got to straighten out. We all like to think, hey, I'm doing okay. And Jesus is saying, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. By the way, read Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus said, if you're without that rebuke and you're that, without that chastening, uh, you'd better check out who your Savior is because he's not your Savior. I, I got a card uh, stuck on my windshield and it's from a church and it says, you can worship God without any guilt. Free from all guilt or commitment. Say, whoa, wait a minute. Free from guilt? Now, wait a minute. You see, I'm not supposed to feel guilty in the classic sense because I'm forgiven. Amen? Real Christianity is not looking in the mirror and saying, I hate myself, I hate myself. Uh, you got problems. If that's what you do. Big ones. Get your eyes off yourself and put it on the Savior. Because he'll tell you what's wrong with you and he'll put you in that process. And by the way, our church has gone through that process and will. Because he wants to mold us and make us do more than what we've done in the past. That's one of the reasons we got a missions conference coming up. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be satisfied with what's happened last year. I know the economy's down. I know there are problems we all face. But I also know that there's a God bigger than the economy. There's no earthly explanation for our church to be able to do what we have done for missions. We praise the Lord for that. But you want to be satisfied with that? You want to say that's all we need to do? Is 72 missionaries enough to support? Are we going to win the whole world with them? I don't think so. Uh, let's get ready to get in that chastening process to change us. Let's ask God to put a little zeal in our heart for what is right. Have you ever accomplished anything with excellence in your life? Stop and think about that. I mean something for which others took note and said, this is a superb example of fill in the blank. Most of us don't. Because we're not willing to work hard enough to get there. How many of you appreciate a fine musical 
rendition. How many of you like to see something uh, old antique furniture that's real wood and and I mean carved and all of the things that were were done to make that thing beautiful? How many of you like to know that when someone gave you a presentation or gave you information that it was just 100% right on the barrel head, everything it ought to be? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you've got to get a little zeal in you, a little desire, get upset but uh, and get it done right. But let me tell you something. Let your zeal and your desire be measured by the Word of God. Galatians chapter 4, the Galatian church was getting zealously affected, Paul said, but it wasn't in a right way. There was a group of people coming in and saying, let, let me show you the key to true spirituality. All you got to do is do like me. Now, that's one of the things that you can always know it's error. When any, ever any man points to himself and says, look at me. If it's truth, he'll point to God and say, look at the word of God. Look at Jesus. Look at what the Bible says. Let's get in agreement with Scripture. We're talking on spiritual realm here. But he says, and repent. See, just getting excited doesn't change anything. How many of you made New Year resolutions? I'm going to do it. I'm going to lose that 15 pounds this year if it kills me. I've never gotten that excited about that. But people make all kinds of resolutions and a week, two weeks later, they're gone. Why? Well, they had zeal, but no repentance. Repentance is when something changes in here that forces, forces, demands a change out here. How many of you remember when you got saved? Jesus said, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. What happened? There's a process the Holy Spirit of God puts you through about seeing your sin. Sounds like rebuke to me, amen? And, and you tried to overcome that and do what was best, and no matter what you did, it wasn't good enough. And finally, you begin to get concerned about this place called hell and God's judgment and you begin to look and you say, listen, I have no hope. And then God opened your mind to understand that my only hope is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so you took your attention off of what you are and what you can do. And laid it at the feet of the cross and said, Jesus, you be my righteousness. Jesus, you be my payment. That's repentance. It's not you trying to clean up your life. It's bringing your sin, just as it is, to the Savior and letting Him pay for it. You see, most religions have a God that just chooses to ignore your sin. Only the Bible has a God that forgives your sin. You see, forgiveness demands payment Without payment, there's no forgiveness. Somebody might say, well, listen, I had a, a, a bad loan and, and I went and they just forgave me the debt. Oh, yeah. They did. But who paid for it? Society as a whole, all the rest of the taxpayers paid for it. Who paid for this bailout? Your grandkids and mine. You say, but they're not alive yet. Yeah, well, they'll still be working on it. If there's still America then. Listen. There is no such thing as forgiveness without payment. Ever. In any situation. Forgiveness without payment is forgetfulness. That's all it is. I'm glad I serve a just God that forgives, not forgets. Because... Nobody simply forgets that doesn't have it handy when they need it. You ever met anybody like that? Yeah, we'll just forget about it. Oh, by the way, 
I need some help. Would you mind helping me? Oh, but but I'm busy. Oh, well, you remember that thing that we just forgot? Well, I kind of remembered it. Would you mind helping me? It'll help me forget it again for a while. That's the way the world works. Not the way God works. He says you need to repent. They tell the story of an ore ship, iron ore out on one of the Great Lakes. And if you know anything about the Great Lakes there and above Ohio and Michigan and Illinois and all of that, they often have big, shallow spots. And it was a storm. And this one ore freighter, the captain, apparently was not paying attention And someone comes running in from the navigation room and says, Captain, we're in the narrow waters and the storm is kicking up. We need to reverse engines. He said, wait a minute, I'm not reversing engines. He said, if I do that, I'll admit that I allowed the ship to be steered wrong and I'll lose my, my captaincy and I'll be punished and all of this. He said, full speed ahead and chart a course to get out of the shallows. Nobody actually saw it happen, but from what they understand, those waves started kicking up. And it literally lifted that ship up on both ends in the middle, was unsupported by the water. They said that ship just broke in half and disappeared off the radar screen. You see, repentance means a change in direction. And what happens to your life spiritually when you refuse to change direction is exactly what happened to that ship. It may not happen that night. It may not happen that year. But there's eventually going to come a time when you're going to come up against something you can't handle and you will be the one who will be destroyed. But when we repent and say, I'm just going to listen to Jesus because he's right, guess what happens? He's the one that supports us and keeps us. But it's got to be his way, not yours. And this is why some of these most misapplied passages, like verse 20, happens. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I don't know how many sermons I've heard where preachers have preached, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is begging you to get saved. That's not what Jesus is talking to his church here. Right. He is not pleading with them for anything. Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. And he's saying, rebuke. You're on one side of the door, I'm on the other side. Isn't that rebuke? Jesus saying, you're on the wrong side of this door, man. You have shut me out because you are listening to yourself and to other human beings and you're not listening to me. It says that if any man will hear my voice and open the door. Jesus is talking to a church. He's talking to individuals as well. Have you remember when you heard that voice saying, you're one of my children. You have no right to live this way. You're one of my children. You're skipping church. You should be in church. You're one of my children. You're not doing what's right in your life. I'll give you power to love that person that hates you instead of you hating them back. You have to understand that forgiveness comes from me, not from you. You have no right to hold a grudge against other human beings. Read what the Bible says about these things. I love these next verses. He says, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Have you ever eaten dinner with someone and all the other person did was eat their food and go their way? I mean, 
That's not a really pleasant thing. Or maybe you're the person that wanted to ignore the person you were eating with. I got to get out of here. I got things to do. But that word sup, if you look it up, it means to sip slowly. Demonstration. When two people sit and are talking at a table, you know what? There's food on the table. But the food isn't the important thing now, is it? How many times have you sat, on, sat around the table and you're sitting there talking and just enjoying the time together and all of a sudden it's, hey man, I better eat this food before it gets cold and you have to sit there and wolf it down. That, that's what it's being talked about. It's not just taking nourishment here. There are people that can take nourishment at any table. It's talking about having intimate fellowship and conversation and in actually enjoying being around that person. Brother Clayton told me many years ago, as I was preparing to get married, some of the best advice I passed it on to everybody. He says, Pete, I know you love her. Do you like her? I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, do you like being around that person? Do you like talking? Do you like the same things? You know, the Bible commands us to love everybody. But it's more enjoyable to be around people you like. How many of you would like to be around Jesus or would it all be rebuke and chastening because you're not doing what's right? That's what he's talking about here. You see, you've got to listen to the rebuke and understand what's wrong. You've got to endure the chastening, that shaping process, that molding, that forcing I've had people say, but pastor, you cannot put a round peg in a square hole. I beg to differ with you. If you get a big enough hammer, you can put any shaped peg in any hole. I've done it. And let me tell you, Jesus has got a big enough hammer to shape you in his image. And that's his goal. Because when I am finally conformed to the image of Christ, he's not on the other side of the door. We're sitting down at the same table. And we're enjoying that time together. Because I don't have my own agenda and he has his. My agenda is his agenda. My desires are his desires. It's two-way communion. Those verses in the Bible that says... Ask anything in my name and ye shall receive. It's not talking about you going to God with what you want and demanding God to give you what you want now. That's blasphemy. It's letting God rewrite you so that your heart begins to desire the things that he does. So that when you come to God in prayer, you can have confidence knowing that you are asking God for what he wants to do. Prayer doesn't change God. Can I say that again? Yes, sir. Because God doesn't need to be changed. You're the one that needs to be changed. And if you'll pray long enough, it's one of God's chastening tools. That will teach you to love the things he loves. And desire the things that he desires. To sit in sweet communion with the Father. And have the time of your life. By the way, you can do that other than places than church on Sunday morning. Amen. One of the reasons I'm preaching this sermon this morning is so we can be challenged to leave this place and enjoy this communion tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day till Jesus comes. Because the promise is, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Jesus has a design for us. 
That design is to rule and reign with him in his kingdom on this earth. And he said, if you want to be a part of that, you've got to overcome. He's not talking about overcoming liquor and overcoming drugs and overcoming pornography and overcoming all of these things. He's talking about overcoming a dependence on self. He's talking about not believing what you think about yourself. He's talking about believing only and trusting only what Jesus says about you and what he knows to be true. Not sure? Well, I'm just going to give this illustration. It's a difficult one to give. I want you to listen closely so you don't misunderstand it. But being a pastor, I've had to help many people who've had reality perception problems. And it ultimately comes down to this. I've sat them down and I said, now listen, what you believe is happening to you and other people are doing to you is not happening to you. No one is trying to kill you. No one's trying to harm you. They're not whispering bad things about you when your back is turned. That's just not true. You hear and perceive these things and you believe them to be real. Therefore, to you, they are real. But they're not real in the real world. They're only real in your mind. Now, if you're going to get victory over this problem, you're going to have to find somebody that you can trust. That when they tell you it's not happening, you're willing to believe them. And the reason it's such a hard illustration to give is because 99 out of the 100 or so people that I have told that have all refused it. In fact, I don't know anybody that has accepted it. Because we're too busy listening to ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. He says, you're too busy listening to yourself. You've got to listen to me. Jesus said, you've got to listen to what I am saying. You've got to see yourself as I see you and understand that even though you don't think that's true, I, as your creator, I, as the savior of the body, of the church, of your soul, am telling you it is true. And if you will accept me, you will be overcoming the greatest obstacle to serving Christ, which is yourself. Because if we overcome, we have that communion with the Father. And we have that confidence that when we pray, we're praying for the things that God wants us to pray for. We have the confidence that when we work and when we do what we're doing, it is the things that God wants us to do. This is a warning that every Christian needs to hear. Because there's not a one of us that do not listen to ourselves too much. We've got to stop listening to ourselves. And we must listen to the Savior. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord... No rebuke is pleasant. The chastening process is not meant to feel good. But when we are through it, we can have that communion that you talk about. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be able to find ourselves, each person that is saved here today, would be able to find themselves somewhere in this sermon. Maybe they're all the way at the beginning. They need the rebuke. They've not been willing to listen. Think everything is fine. 
Lord, maybe they're in that chastening process. And oh, how discouraging it can be as we feel those pressures being put against us by your Holy Spirit, forcing us to change. Lord, I pray that you would give us that zealousness, that zeal, that passion, that desire to endure the chastening process. Lord, to to make that turn and to have it be real, not just another turn over a new leaf, not just another attempt. Lord, that we would get sick and tired of trying to change ourselves and come to you. Lord, I pray for our church that is... We come up to this missions conference, we would see it as it is, that it would be this chastening and rebuking process, that we would not be dependent upon ourselves and what we can do. But Lord, we'd open that door and allow you to come in and write over our desires. That we would sit at that table and take time to fellowship with you. Lord, that we'd finally be able to Put to rest that voice of our flesh that keeps screaming its desires and trying to take us away from your word. Lord, please, let us understand how great your love is for us and what that love will produce in our lives. It is in your name we pray this. Amen. Let's stand together.